You may have played poker, but playing poker in Texas is a different animal. This is the Texas Poker Podcast with Tyler and Clint. Hello, this is the Texas Poker Podcast. I'm Tyler. This is Clint. What's up, y'all? And we are here with episode eight. So how are you running this week, Clint? Oh, it was a pretty interesting week. It was up and down. I ended up up like 90 bucks. I mean, like it was real flat, even week. And I was like, ugh. But I mean, I, I can't, I'm never going to complain about any type of profit. I had one session, you know, I just got off that upswing and I was kind of starting to go down a little bit. So, again, I have this night where I have the entire night to myself. I'm going to go and play some poker. So, I get on this new table and get into a big high-low hand where I just have all the draws. It bricks out. I miss. and nothing, Nothing really interesting, just bad luck. And then I found it really weird because they're like, there's two tables. One is kind of the main table, and they need someone to take the seat, and nobody wants to go over there. And that table, probably the average stack, is probably seven or eight hundred. It's it's probably getting like seven eight hundred dollars. The average stack on my table, like two two to three hundred at a one three table, at most. So I was I was like, ugh, y'all need somebody to go. Nobody's wanting to go. I'm getting killed in the seat. Let me go over there and see how uh how it goes. I get over there and immediately get dealt Ace Queen of Diamonds, and I'm like, okay, this is gonna be a great seat change right here. So I end up going with Ace Queen. I let me check these notes here. Uh, Ace Queen. I end up making it twenty to go. I get four callers to a great flop of Queen Jack. Three. So I bet sixty dollars, which is just a little. It's gonna be a, quite a bit over half pot. So I get one collar from it. It's a six on the turn, no heart. I bet one hundred. What do you think of this bet size? I was kind of wondering about this. So you bet twenty pre-flop, got four collars, so that was five. Five ways to the flop. You bet 60 on the flop. You had no backdoor diamonds or there's no diamonds on the board that you remember? No diamonds on the board. Okay, but it was queen jack um, three, you said? Yeah. And then you bet 60 and get one collar? Right. And then what was the turn one more time? Uh, a six. Uh, an offsuit six. Was there any flush draws available? Yes. And then I like the $100 bet. That's okay. pretty good. Because, I mean... I would assume right now you're ahead. Man, you know, I don't know what happens in the hand, but I would assume you're ahead. And I definitely like you charging. Um, Lesser queens, flush draws, exactly. stuff like that. Yeah, that okay. sounds good. And um, yeah, I, I, it seems like a perfectly fine bet. So Keep that in mind for the, what comes next, okay? <laughs> okay. Keep that in mind. Uh, the river's a king. It goes check, check. I just feel like I'm kind of out of value here. I mean, if it's a flush draw, they're not calling. Uh, I guess I'm losing some value from, like, lesser queens. But I didn't... Not a lot of kings can show up here. Mm -hmm. But he shows king 10 for an open-ended straight draw. 
that then just hit the king. I was just about to say, and you're charging that open end straight draw. I was going to say maybe nine ten, but yeah. So, I, could I have bet more on the turn and gotten them off of it? Yeah, but I mean, I get. I think that's kind of results oriented because in the long run, you want that call. I was about to say you want that call all day, and I mean, I think it was a good check through on the on the river to lose the minimum. Yeah, it didn't feel like the minimum at that moment. But yeah, that was that was pretty much the minimum. <laughs> was- I, so I, yeah, I get off this table and get on this table immediately. Get ace queen of diamonds and run into this hand, and I'm like, this is not gonna be my night. Guess what? Spoiler alert. Wasn't my night. <laughs> uh, so the last hand of that night, I end up. So this guy buys in at, to my directly to my left. He buys in for like the top. It was he's like over like a grand, and this dude is three betting, just almost every like probably one out of every four or five hands. I was like, okay, just just wait. We we're gonna do business, man. <laughs> so he is just, uh, you know, like. These college kids, there's a, I play with a lot of college kids, and you can tell they study the game. But you remember when, like, you were a beginner and you were kind of studying, and everything you study, you, like, go overboard with it? Right. Like, a lot of these college kids, they're like, they hear three bet more, and then they lose their minds just three betting all the time. So, because they hear three bet more, but they don't really have the perspective, and, you know, it's great. I mean, I, I, like, I like that anybody's learning. But I end up with, so I raise, I have ace three of clubs. I raise it to 15. Of course, three bet monkey. I love the monkey emoticon on a, on there. Uh, makes it 50. I'm like, any ace is probably good here. I going to go ahead and make a call with a suited ace. So it comes a, just a wonderful flop for me. Queen jack three. With two clubs. Now, I mean, here's the thing: is he could, he probably could have a queen. He could probably have a jack. Uh, but with a three, any ace makes two pairs. The three makes trips, and then obviously I have the nut flush draw. I check it, thinking he's probably gonna bet on almost any flop. He makes it forty. What do you do? <sighs> oh, and I am about two fifty behind after the uh, three bet call. Ooh. So after the three bit call, you're two fifty behind. So if you raise it, you're gonna have to make it something like one twenty. I wouldn't mind a raise here. Oh, I jammed it. That's yeah. Okay, I was thinking. I was like, I'm trying to think of either raise small for the jam on the turn. But I guess with someone like that, I mean, I think that's. I mean, this is definitely fine as well. I was debating between the jam or making it like. 120 125 to then jam on any turn but yeah you're right because i mean you still have two cards to come if you jam on the flop which is probably better yeah well i mean my thinking was i want to put mo- if he has nothing he's gonna fold and i mean i'm gonna put a lot of pressure on a lot of hands like if it's like queen 10 or jack 10 or something like that something where he's technically ahead of me then I'm going to put a ton of pressure on them. And really, I think I'm above 50-50, even if he calls. What kind of hands was he 3-betting with prior that you saw? Uh, You know, nothing that was too bad. I saw him do it with uh, King-Queen, King-Jack. Uh, 
they weren't hands that were horrible hands, but they definitely were far from premium hands. Okay, well, on that note, I like the jam even more then. Um, yeah. With, you know, considering that as well. So I think definitely like the jam there. And I'm sure he's going to call because if you're three betting that, the chance of him folding that hand with that player type seems very small. Oh, yeah. When I jammed, I was like, oh, I'm going to put the pressure on this. His chips flew in the middle so damn fast. <laughs> I was like, I have never seen a snap call. I was like, he, he must have hit a set of queens and jacks. He had a, he called with king-queen offsuit. Ooh, that's kind of light for the snap jam. Yeah, we he we go ahead and agree to run it twice, and I brick everything. No ace, <laughs> no three, no club. The, man, <laughs> they're like, do you want to rebuy? I'm like, no. No, not at all. Uh, I I am so sad right now. <laughs> like, not only do I not want to rebuy, I need to check that deck to see if there's any clubs in there. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, my God. Because, I mean, it was the guy I was kind of hoping to get into, into the hand with, and then I get it in the perfect spot. And then, yeah, not only that, I couldn't even chop the pot when I had... <laughs> God, I can't even count all the outs in there. <laughs> so that was uh that was that session. Uh and then uh played one other time, uh, where I made I was up a yeah, up a decent amount. I was up like seven hundred. But we had we were doing some Robin Hood stuff that that day before. I got like two hours of sleep, had to wake up at market open and I was so tired I didn't even know where I was. It was there's no interesting hands. Just hit everything. Rivered things. I mean, I was a dirty, dirty dog on that <laughs> on that one. Uh so and then this is the what breaks gets me on the break even. Uh last night I went ahead and played and there was one kinda I guess kinda interesting hand. Uh, I have five six of clubs. I raise it fifteen from kinda late position. I end up with two callers no it was a uh, three callers uh flop ace nine five two hearts one club mm -hmm. uh it checks around to me and there's one person to act after me i think about betting here this seems like a pretty good c bet spot but there's three people on the hand and a lot of people will be like this is perfect for a c bet uh it hits your range thing is is where I play, nobody's three betting ace, any ace, unless it's a ace king, maybe. Mm -hmm. uh, every, but a lot of people will check it to me, being the preflop better. I go ahead and just check it. I'm like, well, there's one club out there, any five, any six. I have some equity. Uh, I feel like I'm. This is just a check spot. I agree. Um, will you uh, tell me the flop one more time in your hand? Uh. Five six of clubs is what I have, and the flop is ace nine five two hearts and one club. I don't mind the check there because sometimes with an ace you are going to check on an ace high board if you have like the ace queen ace king. Yeah, or even like a nine or mm -hmm. something like that. So I just choose to kind of uh, take my equity and see a turn. The turn is a two of hearts. It checks to me again and. It does bring in a flush, but I'm like, well, a lot of people might bet the flush draw hoping to get their, their fold mm -hmm. equity. Uh, 
I go ahead and make a, a small bet of 25, thinking this is kind of a good card if nobody has a flush for my five. I kind of like a small stab here and then a bigger stab on the river if they just call. And then you don't see any aggression on the river, just depending on the river uh, card. I, I agree. So I bet 25 into about 60, mm -hmm. a little under half pot. And I do get two that call. Mm -hmm. So now I'm kind of done with this hand until the river hits rivers of five, giving me trips. And so the they checked, uh, it checks to me. I'm like, you know, there's a flush out there. Nobody's, nobody's acted like they had a flush. So I am a little nervous with two calls, but I'm like, trips right here is way... I just have to go for value. I bet 50, one guy calls, and he shows Jack-Jack. Oh, nice. Okay. So it's a... He, you know, he was a well, older guy. He's like, you rivered me. I'm like, I sure did. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> the river plays. Yeah, the, the, the river counts just as much, maybe more. <laughs> So I I quit. It's one of those kind of annoying deals where you, I mean you make a uh, squeaked out a hundred, but I only played for three hours. That's over you know thirty an hour or whatever. That's actually a little bit more than what I make on my hourly. So I think people tend to not give as much credit to these small set. These small sessions add up after a while. Absolutely, because remember I went on that run where I had like ten winning sessions, but they weren't. None of them were gigantic, but they were all one buy-in win, almost a full buy-in win, two $300 wins. And those really added up quick to then, you know, hit that new bankroll high after a big win, after the 10 winning sessions. Yeah, I think when you're, you know, you look at your biggest sessions and you kind of compare everything to that on the wins. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, they, those small those small wins tend to or really add up into the equation. And a lot of times, like... I was like, oh, that was kind of a grindy session. But, I mean, if I'd have known I was going to go there and make, you know, you know, 30 an hour, I would have done that 100% of the time. So, yeah, I think you have to remember not to push things too hard and to sometimes take these uh, small wins. And now, I was real happy. Our last hand was a high-low hand, five card. You know how I hate raising these PLO hands because it just seems like everything can happen. I get... Pocket aces, both suited with the ace-deuce. Now, you don't play high-low as much as I do. That is like the hand. Okay. I mean, there's just nothing. Ace-deuce is the is like the nuts, basically, there. And then you have the pocket aces, and they're both suited. And I, So I go ahead and raise it to 25. I get calls pretty much all the way around because nobody folds anything in PLO ever. And then I get kind of a horrible flop kind of a decent one it's a uh, 10 j mm, no 10 queen 9 mm -hmm. uh which is horrible in the fact that it base it may it makes it to where i can never get a low because there's three cards out there already and i need uh i need a uh, three cards to hit a low mm -hmm. and those are all above nine uh, but I have the nut flush draw. All right. So, and I have ace jack for the nut straight draw. Okay. Uh, I bet into this. I'm like, I have the nut flush draw. Maybe, you know, nobody really has a, has much here. So I bet trying to take this down. And I have pocket aces, which comes into play. 
it's a I get re-raised pot for about two hundred dollars. I'm looking at my stack. I'm like, I have just this is the last hand we are playing, and you know I'm grinded out the small the you know what is a kind of a tiny profit, and I'm like, oh god, I don't want to get into a gigantic. It folds around to me, but and the guy says, I know him well. He's like, you're gonna have to get lucky. He's like, I got it. I'm like, but I'm lo- I'm counting all my outs. I've got nine outs for the nut flush. I've got another three outs for the nut straight. I mean, that's running right around 50-50. So I end up being like, I can't fold this. Uh, we end up pushing all in, and we run it twice and chop. But you want to talk about like would have been a sad end of a session. That would <laughs> I would have cried, but that was uh that was kind of that session. So. Nice. I mean, it's always good to be profitable. Yeah. Me, not as profitable this week, but that'll happen. That, poker's not always going to be profitable every single week. But I did find, um, so, uh, so I, you know, both of us uh, study poker. And um, one of the coaches on one of the websites, which we'll actually get into later, was saying about an interesting spot. Whenever the flop comes out double paired board how it's actually a really under-bluff spot that you can take advantage of. I like this idea a lot. So, yeah, it's a... Now, I'm assuming he means, like, if it's not too multi-way, right? I'm sure. It seems like all the poker training sites are heads up or so. Yeah, especially if it's it's a double-paired board and it's like eights through, you know, if it's like kind of lower... Where when they raise, they just never have that. Because when you call, you can have it a lot more than they ever can. Right. So here's, I actually have a hand that was, because like when I first heard this, I was thinking, I was like, ooh, I don't like this. Seems like a good way to burn money. And then after kind of thinking about it, I was like, well, maybe I should try it. I was like, it does seem like you, you kind of put them in a spot where if they don't have that paired card, they almost have to fold. A lot of times, if you really barrel, you know, double barrel, triple barrel into them, you know, you put a ton of pressure on much better holdings. Yeah, I very much like that idea. Because, I mean, when you have these over pairs and these big hands, a lot of them are looking for bluffs, like kind of semi-bluffs with the flush draws and the maybe even an open-ended straight draw. But here, you know, it... You're really just you're turning what is a they have a really good hand and just a bluff catcher, right? So here's actually one of the hands because I, I actually did it about three times in this one session, just getting folds all the time, just constantly. No one could do anything. I was even showing the bluff after I would do it, just every time, and everyone would still fold. It really puts people on the spot. I, I, I definitely kind of like that. But so here was the one hand where so they were doing the button straddle. And I was in the big blind with queen 10 suited. So I called the six and then someone bumped it up to 30 and I'm the only caller. So we're heads up to the flop. The flop comes six, six Jack. I check, um, sorry. I check he bets 35. And I was like, mm, it would really be interesting if I check raise him here on this board. Cause for the $30 preflop, he doesn't have many sixes. 
in his raise, but me out of the big blind, I could have called. The oh, extra. You, yeah. oh, yeah, five, six suited, uh, in, you know, six, seven suited. I mean, you could have like a suited ace. Yeah, you have definitely a lot of calls, some calls here. So I check raised him up to, um, where was it? I check raised him up to 150. Any calls? Well, now you're a little scared. <laughs> I was a little scared. <laughs> <laughs> and then the turn brought a nine. So the board was six, six, jack nine. And I was like, well, we're going to get all the information we need right now. I'm going to take one final stab at it yeah. and then check the river if he calls. So then I bet 300 on the turn and he folds. And then I showed the bluff and he's just so mad. So <laughs> mad. <laughs> That's a yeah, I like that move though on that those double paired boards. Like I love it too when your your head like if you're not as multi way, I obviously love it more. Like if it, like I always accuse like some of the training sites like they'll say stuff, but a lot of it will not work in a multi way pot. Like if it's going four or five to the flop, but if you're like one, yeah, I mean if there's one other caller or maybe another one, you know that's the less multi way. I I like it a whole lot more, but love that move. Right, I mean, it just it worked great for me that all that whole session, and then my session ended in dramatic fashion, where, like we talked about last week, um, relative strength hand versus overall strength hand, uh, hand strength, and I ended up calling in a hand where I definitely shouldn't have. So, yeah, I mean, it definitely happens. Ooh, is that that queen hand? Yeah, where I flopped trips and he flopped a boat. So, yeah, that's a that was. Uh, run it back for the listeners, like on that hand, because that's a that's kind of, it was kind of an interesting spot. I thought. Here, let me pull up the notes on it. Let me look real quick. So, so it was against a player who I just um, doubled up through um, previously. Let's see if I can't find the notes for you. Tried to block the notes out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you I... try to bl- block these things from your memory. I hope to never never think of this again until it's on a podcast with you know tons of people listening and. That there I can recount it. And then hopefully the people at the table get to hear it. <laughs> well, they saw it firsthand. So <laughs> yeah. I'm well, sure I'm sure one of those people really wants to relive it. But yeah, it was a well you you have you had like a queen a decent queen. You had like Queen Jack. I had Queen Jack, yeah. Here we go. So I had I just found it. So I had Queen Jack and the flop came Queen Queen eight with a flush draw. I didn't even, man, I was so annoyed. I didn't write down the notes, but I remember the gist. I bet the flop he called. The turn brought an offsuit four. So the board was queen, queen, eight, four with two hearts. I bet pretty big. And then he raised all in for probably about like two and a half times my bet. And I ended up calling and um, he had pocket eights. Yeah. Uh- that's yeah. Again, it's it's back to our like relative versus absolute strength. Is even the queen trip queens look so strong here, but once he re raises you for two and a half times your bet, there's very little. Th- I mean, an overplayed queen ten is about it. Uh, I mean, because you could say like, well, maybe a flush draw, but most people are not going to play a flush draw this way. If they're gonna if they're gonna take that aggressive action, it's going to be on the flop usually. Right, and then, you know, everything's easier in hindsight, so hindsight, I was thinking, I mean, even the hand I was going to fold, but, man, that one, 
I was like, well, I mean, because I did just snap call me to the same thing with an overpair and pocket kings, and he was representing the same thing. I snap called him and almost felted him. I just about, you know, he covered me by a little bit over. That definitely comes into play. I mean, you, if you if you know he's capable of making a bluff there, you definitely have to uh, at least put that in the possibilities. But, yeah. I mean, if you flop trips to a boat, though, I mean, you're going to lose a lot of money. It's just a matter of how much. Right, and like I was telling you, I like to do the full double up. I'd hate for them to miss any value. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you, you, yeah, definitely want to, you know, give them all the value for there. <laughs> you don't want them to be disappointed with just a, ha- a halfway good hand. Right, so, yeah, apparently that's what I was doing this week, so that wasn't great. But I was, you know, making the moves with the double pair boards, you know, experimenting with that, experimenting with bluffing with a smaller size bet trying to make it look like value and people were folding for that too. So, I mean, just got to do a lot of stuff this week, just ended up not being profitable because of that call. Yeah, that's uh, that's kind of the way it goes. I mean, at some point the cards have to run in your favor a little bit and if you're flopping gr- really good to somebody else's super great, that's not not good for you. All right, so but yeah, that's a uh, so but yeah, it's hoping to get some poker into this, but uh, not going to be a heavy poker week uh, for me this coming up. Right, yeah, that we were talking about that. Same thing for me. It's probably not going to be that great of a poker week, but then we were talking about different things that we can do or that you do whenever you're not going to have a good poker week or not a, not a good poker week, but you can't play much poker that week. Uh, what kind of things do you do just to kind of kind of keep sharp or uh, study or so i like obviously we like the vlogs a lot you've heard everybody's heard us mention those quite a bit just the i love those because there is it's education and fun it's not super dry so and it kind of gives you the enjoyment of kind of being in the poker table sometimes i swear to god when i it's a grindy session and i'm getting no hands sometimes i think i might be rather be watching a vlog uh but the vlogs are really big. I am a subscriber to Crush Live Poker, where they have the podcast and the videos that kind of go over the sessions. Uh, like those, the live streams. I I don't go into live streams a ton, but I do watch those and real and do enjoy those here and there. So, and then I'll read a lot of read a lot of poker books too. So I kind of fill my time there. I mean, obviously not all at the same time because that's a ton of time, but sporadically, just how I'm feeling. Right, because I was telling you, I um, a lot of times I'll do uh, PokerCoaching.com. That's the website that I use. Um, I just love their quizzes that they let you do. Their hand quizzes where you get to decide what you would do on every street. Those seem to have been super helpful for me. Yeah, that's a, I think those are really cool. Apparently, Crush Life Poker has like has none of that, uh, but apparently they are bringing some quizzes on there, which I think would be really cool. I, I definitely would like to see them kind of put that into focus. But, uh, but I like Crush Life Poker because it's really the whole focus is on the live poker scene. So, and the videos are just, like, different ways, you know, mistakes people make and how you can capitalize on it. And I won't lie, like, the podcast, as much as I drive, I don't have a ton of time. Even more than the videos, like, 
a podcast where I can drive and kind of use that time that would just be zoned out and do absolutely nothing to study poker. Oh, God, that that's a savior for me. Well, but one of the big differences that you and I were talking about, because I think poker coaching works a little bit better for me because I like being at the computer doing the quizzes, but you like listening. But one of the big differences is poker coaching has literally zero PLO on there. Oh, that's true. I guess because uh, Crush Life Poker is more on the live cash games, and PLO is kind of a big cash game. They even have some high-low. Like, I mean, they have a lot more. They have a, mostly Hold'em and quite a bit of PLO, in, but I've found even a little bit of high-low on there, too. So it really, that really has helped me with with those games. Because you, the less the game, the less information you can really find on it. Like, there's a ton of great Hold'em books, but PLO is a lot harder to find, like, good books on it. So, their uh, information on there has been super helpful, like, getting uh, getting my game a little bit better on that. Right, because, well, and as you know, poker coaching is also very tournament-based. A big majority of their website is, and I really don't do many tournaments. But the actual, like, their cash game section is still gigantic. It's not as big as the tournament, but there's a ton of value there with all the quizzes. They have hundreds and hundreds of quizzes for cash game and and then another hundreds and hundreds of tournaments. But you can sort it to just do cash games. And then you also can, they have little different cash game sections. So you can really get just, and I have the premium, so you have access to everything, so you can get the, cash game masterclass which i highly highly recommend if you haven't checked it out definitely worth it yeah i think both are really good it's it really depends on how you like to learn if you like the videos of the cash games and the podcasts you're much better off with crush live poker uh and it's a little more cash game based but some people want a more tournament if you want kind of a little bit of everything like the tournaments and the cash games uh, the uh, I think Jonathan Little's poker coaching is, is really good. But, I mean, me and you say it all the time. The big thing is that you're studying because really most all this material is really good, and you're going to get better if you do any of it. It's uh, just actually putting in some time to actually study. Right, because I ended up subscribing to Run It Once just to, just to see what it's like, and I just thought I got more out of poker coaching just to how I learn, just like from their videos versus the other ones. I liked um, poker coaching more than run at once. I just did you end up looking at any of it with me or not really? I looked at a little bit with you. I didn't. I didn't find it bad, but I found it very kind of disorganized. Right. It was really hard to kind of figure out what you were like because I remember we looked at it just to see their PLO and their hold'em, and I remember it's kind of hard to even find a beginning point on the PLO. Yeah, it's a. Like, yours, like, has the the classes that kind of build into each other, like the Cash Game Master Class. Uh, Crush Live has, like, the videos and the podcast. But they they also have, like, the course where they take, like, all the best videos and all that. And they kind of put it in a line-by-line uh, deal so you can do it in order. And I like that. I, I I need a little bit more organization. I, I don't think Run It Once was bad, but it's not, it was bad for me in the way I learned. Right, that was kind of my thing, too. And just kind of the video layout, I didn't... It was okay. Like you said, a lot of these websites and 
different coaching. They all kind of say the same thing, just different ways. Right. And they're all good in different in different ways, just depending on how you learn. Yeah, it's a oh man. There's a uh, I want to give a shout out to this like a book I read. It, it's not gotten a ton of traction, but it's been a great learning tool for me. Was the course by Ed Miller. You know I preach this book a lot. And the big difference it that I like about it that you don't get other places is it goes by your limits. Like it goes like these strategies work at one three. And then at two five you need to graduate to these strategies and then it works. And then he's like, when you go to five ten, you need to do this. Because some of these uh courses I've noticed, they'll give this like, hey, this works and all of this. But you have to play slightly differently at different levels. A bluff that might be a great bluff at two five or five five, where people are good or at least good enough to make some decent folds, might not be a profitable bluff at one three. And that was one of the few places I've seen that kind of addressed like such a sizable gap and play difference uh, on different levels. The big difference I've always noticed between like when you switch game limits is people's three bidding range. Oh yeah. The three bedding range is way different. Yeah. Way different. So like, I mean, there's a lot of things in my game cause I am the three better in my game and I could not get away with a lot of the stuff like at some of the more aggressive tables, like you play at in Houston on a different, uh, on a regular basis. Right. That. And then also player squeezing, like making squeeze plays. Almost none of it at one three. I mean, you'll see it occasionally, but then whenever you play like five five, if it goes like bet call call, that next player is just sitting there, just ready to just three bet and just you know take that dead money from you. Yeah, it's a. I definitely like that. Uh, I can't wait to kind of dr- go up in limits because I enjoy the the competition and the strategy and figuring out you know ways to go against it. Although I did that you know with my ace three of clubs. And we'll see. We see how with, how well that went. So maybe my strategy's not the best. <laughs> um. So I guess, I guess on a different note, other than um different strategies. Um. Have you ever played gone to the poker room? Because I remember one time in Colorado, you went. Whenever we played in Colorado, that spread limit. I think they just changed it, but we went to that, and then they had the different progressive bonuses but they restarted in the morning the board got wiped clear do you remember that oh yeah i definitely remember that because we we had gone to colorado and it's a great trip for you and a horrible one for me i was getting <laughs> murdered but then we went over there and saw they had like a ton of it one of the most i've ever seen just on different like straight flush uh promotions and all of that and if each one hit like if it was five seven suited then it was gone but they had just reset it, so all of them were there. Right. So we had played late that night, and you were still asleep, and I went to go play because they said the game would start at 10 because that's when it restarts, 10 in the morning or whatever. So I showed up, and I remember one time I was playing. Not one time. I was playing in that, in that that on that table, and um, I had, like, Jack-9 suited, right? And I was watching, and I remember, I, you know, I ended up folding or whatever. And then the very next hand, I got, like, jack six offsuit. But I was still so tired in my head. I was, like, in the big blind and cold. I only looked at my cards once. 
and I ended up flopping a straight with the Jack Nine. Oh, <laughs> so you were on the impression that you were still playing Jack Nine, flopping a straight with it, when in reality you had Jack Six. Exactly. Okay. Sad, sad that I picked up on that real quick. <laughs> uh, makes me think that maybe this wasn't the only time it's ever happened. That's the only time it's happened like this. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> so, I ended up, I remember I ended up like raising, and we ended up getting all the money in on the river. And I would turn over the card, I said straight, and turn over the card and like showed it. And I was like, oh, dang, yeah, straight. And then they looked like, what? Like, you don't have a straight. <laughs> like, you have a jack and a six. And I was like, oh, I had a straight last hand. <laughs> <laughs> Tyler's like, trust me, it's a it's a straight from last hand. So we're good. We're good. Yeah. You Talk about, we, I guess these people just like, they must have thought you were the biggest donkey at this point in the world. This that would be a great for your image if you're going to be a long session. Well, some of the people were there from that I played with the day before when I was killing it. <laughs> but you want to talk about getting, you get zero chips when you have a straight from last hand, by the way. <laughs> and then you look like a stone fish, and then no one's folding to you ever the rest of the session. <laughs> Tyler's like, my bluff, my bluffing days at this table are definitely over. <laughs> yeah, because that was before, even, before I was even tracking or anything. I was still, that was actually right before, right, whenever I had like a pretty good, that whole trip was really uh, profitable for me kind of built the bank or started the bankroll to make uh, playing for profit a thing. But that hand, I still remember that just saying straight, then then be like straight. And then the dealer just saying, what? <laughs> just what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, that kind of brings it kind of, that's a pretty cool story. Cause that, but that also brings it like the differences, but how different poker can be from place to place. Cause you remember like we're in Texas where if you raise, everybody's calling everything. Nobody's letting anything go. And we go there, and we're raising, and we're tight players in Texas. And we're raising, and these people are starting to get pissed off at us. Because, I mean, we're raising, you know, 15 and a 1-3, which seems very normal. And, I mean, they're like, you can't have aces every time. And I'm like, I never said I did. I mean, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> is that the raising range here? So, yeah, it, it really highlighted how different poker is just geographically. Well, I also think there there it was spread limit before. Mm -hmm. So I kind of think that made a lot of players play smaller pots because when a lot of times on that trip, whenever I, we got into big pots and you can only bet 100, made things really tough. That's true. I mean, you're only going to get... I mean, one is... Weirdly enough, you were actually getting a lot of bluffs through that trip, I remember. Which was super shocking to me. Because it seems like you could bluff less in a spread limit game. Because you just can't put that much pressure on the stat, on a stack. They're going to get better odds to call. But I remember you were actually getting a lot of bluffs through. Uh, but I guess I think... It, yeah, you're right. Since it was spread limit, it just seemed like it was a tighter, a much tighter table in general. Yeah, uh, it's so weird how in Texas just it's just so call happy. Yeah, it's it's so weird how you go to different different places. Like yeah, from Texas, well, you hear all the vloggers talk about it. How like nothing is quite like Texas right now, but you go to Vegas or anywhere else, it's a uh, 
you have to definitely tone it down because it's just a different game. Right. Absolutely. But I guess on that note, that concludes episode eight of the Texas Poker Podcast. We'll see you guys next week. Throw a like, throw a subscribe. Bye. That was the Texas Poker Podcast. Go ahead and rack up. Add time and we'll see you next week.